This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. So turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation 22, verse 12. Revelation 22, verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. My reward is with me. And this is, this is a John on the Isle of Patmos seeing this, this revelation of, and this is Christ's words. So this is Christ saying, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. And we see in, in Matthew, although don't turn to it, I'm going to quote a couple of verses in Matthew, quite a few verses here. And again, it's Jesus, Matthew 5 and 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Matthew 6 and 4, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then in Matthew 6 and 6, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And another one in verse 18 of of Matthew 6, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus has a lot to say there about reward as well. I want to ask you tonight, how often do you think about this reward? How often do we really in the day-to-day living of our Christianity think about that moment when we'll stand before God, stand before Christ to be judged? How often do we think about eternal things, full stop? What will happen when we face the Holy One? What will happen when we face Christ, the Anointed One, the sinless Son of God? Will Christ be pleased with us? Will he be disappointed in us when we stand before him? And tonight, this message is primarily really fully for the believer. It's for the believer in Christ. It's for born-again Christians. So most of what I'm going to say tonight refers to the believer. I think most of us hope that when we stand before Christ, we will hear those words from the parable of the talents in Matthew, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what the master said to the faithful servants. And we all hope that that's what Jesus is going to say to us. And then how does Christ determine our rewards? We're going to look at all this tonight. Romans 14 and 12 tells us a little bit more. It says, each of us shall give account of himself to God. What will that be like for us? What will happen? Let me ask you this. Do you ever worry Or are you concerned that God would bring up your past sins, especially the bad ones? Are you worried that he might bring up even sins committed as a Christian? Will they be held against us or not? Is God compiling a list of our faults and our failings ready to condemn us when we stand before him? We're going to answer some of these tonight because I really believe that what we believe about this end time event affects our relationship with Christ now. So it does have relevance to now. If we have myths and ideas and man-made ideas about how Christ is going to judge us, 
it really will negatively affect our relationship with Christ now. So tonight we're going to look at biblically this, this event, and I hope that it affects for the positive your relationship with Christ and it enriches your relationship with Christ. I've got four points tonight. The first point is where and when. Where will this happen and when will it happen? Let's look in, in greater detail. 1 Corinthians 3. Verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. Keep a bookmark in this passage of Scripture, because this is really our main passage for tonight. So we're going to be turning back to this and referring to this a few times. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds in this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. So what is this day that Paul's talking about in Corinthians here? Look again at verse 13. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Well, we can see a little bit more in 2 Corinthians. You can move on in your Bible if you want to, to 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. And again, Paul here refers to this day, but he gives a little bit more detail. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And again, Paul in Romans 14 and 10, you don't need to turn to it. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So where and when is my first point, if you're taking notes tonight. Where? It'll happen at the judgment seat of Christ. That's where Christ will look at the account of our life, and he will determine our level of reward or what rewards we're getting. The judgment seat of Christ. Now, there's three main scenes or types of judgment that Scripture refers to. Uh, some would believe that these all refer to the same timing. So the great white throne judgment, the throne of glory, the judgment seat of Christ will all happen at the same time. Others that have varying beliefs about the end times believe that these are maybe at different times. But I think the most familiar end time judgment that we would know about would be the great white throne judgment. Most people have heard of that. And some have heard of the throne of glory. Now the great white throne judgment, that's really for unbelievers. That's where they're going to get judged by Christ. The throne of glory is... In Scripture, it refers to that as being Gentile nations after the tribulation will face a judgment called the throne of glory. And then there's the judgment seat of Christ. And this is a judgment exclusively for born-again Christians. And that is where our, my message tonight is going to surround that one. We don't have time to go into all the other end-time judgments tonight. 
So where will it happen? It'll happen at the judgment seat of Christ. When will it happen? Well, some point to Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. That could be unbelievers. That could be believers. So it's not explicit there. At the rapture, at the second coming, look at Matthew 16.27, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense every person according to his deeds. And there's Revelation 22.12, which I opened with tonight, which again, I'll just read it in the context of timing. Just listen a bit more closely. Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every person according to what he has done. So there's varying ideas about when, but one thing is for certain, this judgment seat of Christ will happen after your physical death as a believer and before your final state of glory. So after your, your death and before we enter the new Jerusalem, as Pastor was talking about this morning, it'll happen sometime between then. Second point tonight is, what is it not? This judgment seat of Christ, what is it not? Well, it's not a judgment for our sins. The believer is the righteousness of God in Christ. Our sins are, have been from the far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. This judgment seat of Christ is not putting under question the believer's salvation. It is not a judgment for sins. So any fear you have about, about this being God rejudging you for your sins, that's not going to happen. He judged Christ on the cross for our sins. John Walvert has a good thing to say about this. With reference to sin, Scripture teaches that the child of God under grace shall not come into judgment in his standing before God. And on the ground that the penalty for all sin, past, present, and future, has been borne by Christ as the perfect substitute, the believer is not only placed beyond condemnation, but being in Christ is accepted in the perfection of Christ and loved of God as Christ is loved. So it, what is it not? It is not a judgment of our sins. And it is not a judgment of condemnation. Neither is God going to condemn us and point the finger for all the faults and failings that we've had throughout this life. We know that those in Christ are clear from condemnation. Just read John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's only Son. Dr. Samuel Hoyt He's very good on this, on this subject of, of the judgment seat of Christ. And this is what he says. There will be no judicial condemnation, nor will there be any judicial punishment for the believer's sins, whether confessed or unconfessed, but rather commendation according to the faithfulness of the Christian's life. There will be an awesome experience to stand before Christ, having one's life completely exposed by his searching eyes. Yet this same one who judges has himself entirely paid the penalty for all of the believer's sins. There may be some measure of shame and remorse which will result from seeing one's fleshly works rendered as unworthy of the reward which one might have received, but there will be no judicial punishment whatsoever for unfaithful service. There will be, however, varying degrees of reward for faithful stewardship. And again, that's Dr. Samuel Hoyt. If that's not enough for you, let's turn to John 5:24. Christ himself gives us threefold assurance. 
John chapter 5, verse 24. I'm reading this in the NIV. Verily, verily, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, will not be judged judicially or judged for our sins, but has crossed over from death to life. So there's a threefold assurance from Christ himself. You have eternal life, you will not be judged, and you've crossed over from death to life. And of course, there's Romans 8 and 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The late Derek Prince says this, True believers in Christ will never have to face a judgment of which the outcome will be final condemnation. In fact, the true believer in Christ will never need to be judged at all for sins he has committed. When a person comes as a sinner in faith to Christ, receiving him as Savior, confessing him as Lord, the whole record of that person's past sins is immediately and eternally blotted out by God, never to be remembered anymore. And then I had a look in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah says, there's two verses, I, even I, am him who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Transgressions there are speaking of sins done with a known law, and, and sins are sins done without the knowledge of a law. And, and of course, the greater of them is, is the thick cloud that Isaiah talks about, is sins done when we know we shouldn't. And even then, he says, I blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. And of course, in Hebrews 8 and 12, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So what is it not? It is not a judgment of our sins and it is not a judgment of condemnation. It's not dealing with our righteousness, but it's dealing with our service rendered to Christ, which we're going to go into shortly. It's not a judgment of every man's soul, but it's a judgment of every man's work. So we've covered so far where and when, and we've covered what is it not. Now we're going to get into the, the meat of it here. Point number three, what should we expect? What should we expect at the judgment seat of Christ? Some believe the scriptures point to intense sorrow, terror, suffering for sins. And, you know, you can find scriptures for anything and you can make them fit. But correctly interpreting scripture, especially in the light of the new covenant, that's, that's, the way, that's the proper way to interpret scripture for the believer today. So I could pull scriptures from anywhere and make up any kind of story. But it's about correctly interpreting the scriptures. So on one end of the spectrum, you've got some that believe that the scriptures point to this intense time of sorrow and regret and terror and suffering for sins. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got those that believe that it's a wonderful award ceremony, no regret, no sorrow, no shame, and no awareness of loss. But I mean, Paul himself talks about, in 1 Corinthians, we've already seen tonight, that there will, our bad works will be burnt up and we will suffer great loss. So where these people are getting this from, I do not know, but they're not getting it from the scriptures. Then there's somewhere in the middle and again, Samuel Hoyt on this 
emphasis is placed on the fact that each Christian must give an account of his life before the omniscient and holy Christ. All that was done through the energy of the flesh would be regarded as worthless for reward, while all that was done in the power of the Holy Spirit will be graciously rewarded. Now let's look again at 1 Corinthians 3. Just drop in there at verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Well, we've established that. He's our foundation. Our relationship with Christ is not going to come under question. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Pause. So you can build on this foundation of Jesus Christ. You can do some deeds and they can be like gold, silver, precious stones. There's a nice big one there. But you can, you can also build your life. It says you can build on this foundation with wood. You can build your life with hay or straw. So these are the materials that the believer can build their life on. Of course, our foundation is Christ. That's not under question here. But Paul refers here, and let's look again, as we look at the emblems of I've, the, the symbols I've placed on the table there. Verse 12, now if anyone builds in this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Let's just pause again there. So each one's work will become clear. Well, Christ will hold all of our words, thoughts, deeds in, in, in an account, really. And, and they're, they're built of either gold or silver or precious stones, or they're built of hay and wood and straw. And he knows what they are. They're all in here. And each of us has our own account. And Christ will look at this whenever we stand before him. So what's going to happen with this account? What's he going to do? Well, Paul shows us. So again, 1 Corinthians 3. And 13, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Of what sort it is. So our, our works will be revealed by fire. And in Revelation 1 and 14, John, the Isle of Patmos, has this vision and picture of Christ in verse 14, and he says, The hair on his head was like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Christ's eyes were like blazing fire. Well, when the, we stand before Christ and his eyes of blazing fire, look upon all of our deeds. So, you know, Paul makes it clear what's going to happen. All those deeds are going to get burnt. Burnt. 
and you'll suffer great loss. Let's read it again. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. If it endures, we'll receive a reward. Let's hope that there's some work that we do for Christ that endures. Because for those things, we'll receive a reward. So those things that are like gold and silver and precious stones will endure. And for that, we'll be rewarded. Those deeds done that are counted as unworthy will lie like ashes on the floor. They're the things we've done that we built with straw and wood and hay. If anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. We will suffer loss, and we will be aware of that loss, because if, if we weren't aware of it, the scripture wouldn't say we would, we would suffer loss. You don't suffer loss unless you know you've lost it. So we're definitely going to have a, a sense, I think, of loss. When we look at all the different things that were done that were counted as unworthy, I, I think it will, it, we, will, we will suffer some sort of loss regarding that. But I think that the, the reward that we will have, you know, will outweigh that. What else? What else should we expect? Well, Paul gives us some clues. Well, we've seen it in Romans and in 2 Corinthians that Paul refers to this judgment seat of Christ. And Paul would have written this um, to the Corinthian, the church at Corinth, and he would have written this in common Greek. And the Greek word that he would have used for the judgment seat of Christ is the word bima. And you've got to remember as well that the city of Corinth was the city that hosted the Isthmian Games, the athletic games. In fact, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, those Isthmian Games, those athletic Grecian Games, were at their height in Corinth. And they had a bima. They had a place where the contestants would be judged for their competition and they would be rewarded accordingly. And they, the judges would lead them to the bima where they would receive a fair reward for winning the, the different competitions. But was Paul thinking of that bima at the Isthmian Games? Very likely if he's writing the church at Corinth. And again, we see that Paul in his writings in 2 Timothy 2 and 5. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he will not be crowned as the winner unless he competes according to the rules. And again, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that all the runners in the stadium compete, but only one receives the prize? So run to win. Every competitor must exercise self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we do to receive an imperishable one. So Paul here is referring to athletes, games, runners, crowns, awards. I think it's quite likely that Paul was pointing the church at Corinth to this bima, this place where they would be fairly judged and they would receive appropriate rewards. J. Hampton Keithley has a good thing on this. Let me skip, let me skip that. I'll, I'll just go to, 
to Samuel Hoyt again here. Paul was picturing the believer as a competitor in a spiritual contest. As the victorious Grecian athlete appeared before the Bema to receive his perishable award, so the Christian will appear before Christ's Bema to receive his imperishable award. The judge at the Bema bestowed rewards to the victors. He did not whip the losers. So what should we expect? We should expect reward. And we should expect to suffer loss for deeds done that are counted as unworthy. So what are the rewards? Well, the greatest reward is seeing Jesus face to face. It's sharing in his glory. And Paul Balash says it well in, in the course of his song. Jesus, you are my reward. To, to hear your voice on that day is all I'm living for. Jesus, you are my reward. To see your face on that day is all I'm living for. And then there's five key passages in Scripture that refer to crowns. Now, some would take the crowns to be symbolic of eternal life. So wherever there's a crown mentioned, some would say that's referring to eternal life. Others interpret it as literal crowns that we can receive. Whether they're literal, whether they're not, it's, it's a worthy study to look into. One thing I know, we'll, we're going to cast them at his feet because his glory and his presence will be the greater thing than any crown we could wear. And maybe we'll receive crowns, maybe they're, they're just symbolic. But nonetheless, if we do, I think we will bow at the feet of Jesus and, and at the throne and we will cast those crowns before him. I think seeing Jesus is the greatest reward. Are there degrees of reward? Are there degrees of reward? Well, in the parable of the minus in Luke, which we don't have time to go into, we don't have time to turn to, it seems to point in that direction. And again, it's similar to the parable of the talents where um, a ruler goes away on a long journey and he leaves 10 servants in this instance uh, with some money and he returns and, and to see whether they have um, profited him anything. One servant makes a five-fold return, another servant makes a ten-fold return, and another servant makes no return, and the rest of the servants, it doesn't say. What does the master do? In this parable, he, he rewards the one that made a five-fold increase and says, I will make you governor of five cities. And the one that made a ten-fold increase, he said, I will make you governor of ten cities. And then the one that made no profit, he said, I will take that from you and I will give it to the one that made a tenfold return. Well, why didn't he give it to the one that made a fivefold return? Well, I think, you know, the master he was honoring the one that made the biggest return. So the one that served well and served the most actually ended up with, went away with 11, 11 fold return. So what does that tell you about varying degrees of reward? I'll quote Jonathan Edwards, because this balances this a little bit, in case you're worried, am I going to, you know, be jealous of someone else's rewards in heaven? He says, every vessel that is cast into this ocean of happiness is full, though there are some vessels far larger than others, and there shall be no such thing as envy in heaven, but perfect love shall reign throughout the whole society. You see, one of the rewards really is responsibility. And some of us have a capacity for responsibility, and God will reward accordingly, and we'll, we'll operate in that responsibility, and we'll rule with Christ in the New Jerusalem. And then others have a much larger capacity, 
and they will rule as well, and that's, that's their rewards. But you're not going to look at that person and say, well, hey, he's ruling more than me. There is no envy. There's no comparison. You'll be glad with what you have. So I think there's varying degrees, but there's no envy. So how should this affect our daily life in Christ, this judgment seat of Christ, these rewards? Well, it should motivate us to serve him more. When we realize that there are different materials that we can build with and that God has left it, Christ has left it up to our choice. And he's told us you can build with gold and silver and precious stones. Uh, you can also build with wood and hay and straw. Well, I would say let these rewards that we can receive motivate you to serve him and serve him and build with gold and silver and precious stones. And it should encourage us as we face challenges. So I don't think Christ is trying to f motivate us with fear in our Christian life. I think he's, he's wanting to encourage us that if you continue to be faithful, you will receive a reward. So it should motivate us and encourage us. Final point tonight is point number four. I'm going to give you two keys to maximize your reward. You know what? If we can build for rewards, why not maximize it? Why not make as, as much reward to give God glory? When we are in heaven ruling and we, are, we have rewards to use for his glory, why not? Why not maximize our reward? But how do we do that here and now? Two keys. Number one, live today with an eternal mindset. Live today, today with an eternal mindset. Colossians 3, 1 and 4. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. This is New Living Translation, which I think is good for this passage. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Live today with an eternal mindset. Set your mind on heaven. Remember that you're seated in heavenly places, for he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then store your treasures in heaven. In Matthew, Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is there, your desires of your heart will be also. So key number one to maximizing your reward is live with an eternal mindset. Set your mind on heaven. Remember your place in heaven and store your treasures in heaven. Second key is serve Christ correctly. So what do I mean by that? Is serve Christ biblically. See, we can serve Christ and be really busy serving Christ, but you could be building with wood and straw and hay. But there's a, there's a, the Bible sets forth principles and ways to serve Christ rightly, and that will result in building your Christian life with gold and silver and precious stones. It's obedience to, to the word of God. It's not creating our own ideas and our own rules and our own form of worship and attaching the, the name of Christ to it. That's just empty religion. 
It is serving Christ obediently. Second thing, motives. If you want to serve Christ correctly, you've got to check your motives. Are you serving to receive something for yourself? Are you serving to meet some sort of need within yourself? Or are you serving to please and glorify Christ? Check your motives. And then power. 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. If all of our faith and all our Christian faith is words, it will be like wood, hay, and straw. But if it's in power, if it's in the power of the Holy Spirit, if it's not of our own strength, but we ensure that this is by the strength of God, this is empowered by His Spirit, then we'll be building with gold and silver and precious stones. Colossians 1.29, to this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. So two keys to maximize your reward here and now. Live with an eternal mindset and serve Christ correctly. Philippians 3 and 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond tonight just simply by playing a worship song. On the screen, the words will be there. And I want you to just consider these things on the table here. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Decide what way you're going to build your life, what way you're going to serve Christ. Get excited about your reward. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.